0: Welcome to Big Blend Radio, where we celebrate variety and how it adds spice to quality of life. Hey everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio. We're super excited to welcome Glenn Heilman to the show. He has a novel out, it's called A Yellow House in the Mountains. It is out in March 2024, and it is based on a true story, his family story, his mom and dad's story about living up in the Grand Lake region of Colorado. It's beautiful. If you're watching this on YouTube, you see that picture behind me? Yeah, that's where it is. And it was affected by what is called uh, the East Troublesome Fire. You know, wildfires are affecting our country and the world uh, quicker, and they're faster. They're, They're pretty insane. And his family, his mom and dad, were affected. The house, I believe, too. And he wrote a novel about this. Uh, So welcome, Glenn. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. It's great to be with you.
0: First off, sorry about the loss of your mom and dad. That is a hard thing. And fire is brutal. As I said before we started recording, Nancy and I have been through a lot of fires out in San Diego. The Cedar Fire, which was the biggest fire in in California way back when and not anymore. Things are moving more rapid when it comes to wildfires. Um, but it's interesting that you turned to write a book, and you have a song about it. We can add the song to the end of this interview for people. Oh, right? that'd be wonderful! Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. Not for that I'm a on singer YouTube. or
1: anything, but uh, there's a story. You about wrote
0: the song. Me. You wrote the song, right?
1: I did. Yeah, that was kind of yeah. the start of my uh, creative uh, expedition, I guess.
0: Well, we're going to add it to the end of this for the YouTube listeners, because you know the other outlets will like, no, you can't. All these music rights, but which is fine. But um why write a novel? And was this part of like a like getting through this for your parents' loss?
1: You know, uh you mentioned the song and I'll start there. Um six days after the fire, we were making preparations for getting back on the property. We were gonna meet the coroner there and try to do some sense mm-hmm. of you know, just uh recognition yeah. of what transpired. That fire was the fastest moving fire in the history of the state of Colorado. It went 26 miles in less than three hours. Um, exactly. so it, it was devastating. Um, kind of like
0: Maui. It. Like now, yeah. when we look at Maui, like everything just happened.
1: When when the conditions are well perfect, it can move rapidly and the destruction's incredible. But you know, the sheriff and the fire chief really wanted to get us out there just so we could uh, begin to start the process of healing. And the day before we were to go out there, I was out mowing the lawn, just trying to take my mind off of all the emotion behind what had transpired and i had a little tune in my head just a little tune and i kept humming it along and got to the point where i came in and i grabbed my guitar and i wanted to figure out what the chord progression was so i did that and then i went back to mowing the lawn and by the time i was done with the lawn less than an hour i'd come up with some words that told the story of my parents lives and within that that was kind of the spark to write more um just as a means of coping with the grief and the loss um Three or four weeks later, we had a formal memorial service. And while at that memorial service, I heard stories from my brothers and sisters, some of which I had heard before, but others that I'd never heard. And so I came home from that and I just started to write those down. I didn't want to lose those memories of the stories I had heard about my parents. And it was actually my wife's idea that I ought to stitch all those stories together in some form of a a readable method that my kids would someday and my grandkids someday could go back and enjoy reading. So that's kind of how it started, um, just through hearing stories um, that were related to my parents. By the time I got six months into it, I captured a lot of stories and a lot of memories. And the more I thought about it, the more I recognized that while they were just ordinary people, they lived extraordinary lives. And much of what they did throughout their life was overcoming adversity. Um, they got married very young, maybe not as in common in those days, but my mom was Uh, 15, my dad was 17 when they first met and they were married within a year. So, um, you know, pretty, pretty challenging odds for young people, 16 and 18 to start a life like that. And my mom was pregnant, which, uh, certainly created some stress. I'm sure in that day.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So they they got off to a rough start, but through their journey together, I think the story, you know, I, I mentioned to it that it's a story of love and refinement, my dad was a challenging young man and he had some uh, flaws like we all do, but his were pretty, pretty interesting flaws. And when he met my mom, he saw something in her that made him want to be better. She made him want to address his challenges. And he literally used the love for my mom to motivate him to become a better man. And Mm. the other 68 years. And truly he changed uh, through their commitment to each other and through their faith, Uh, their commitment to their family. My dad became just an incredible man. By the time he left, he was 180 degrees from the young man he was when my mom first met him. So how long were they married?
0: Tell everybody how long they were married.
1: They were married 68 years, 68 years.
0: That's amazing. And I think we think that when you have a, such a strong partnership, right? You go through so much together and even the land, you got to think about the land that they had in the house. That's That's work. I don't care who you hire. It's still work. (laughs) Mountain living is
1: not easy living. And you're surrounded by beauty and nature. And they loved all of that. But as you pointed out, it's work to live in the mountains.
0: It is, but it's healthy.
1: There's something so
0: healthy. And I remember somebody, when we moved up, when we first got to, we lived in, in South Africa before we got here. And my mom, Nancy, started a magazine out there. And it was time to come home. But we lived in Kenya, England, saw that all over. Got here. And we started our magazine in San Diego and then ended up moving to this mountain town and Julian and went through all the fires there. But I remember a friend telling me, like, like Lisa had this weird change. Somebody said, oh, you know, she partied and hung out with us and did all this. And then she went to the mountain and never came back. And, and he said, well, this other friend said, People get spiritual in the mountains. Something happens with them. And there is something that changes your life. And I don't know what to say about it. But John Muir is right. (laughs) There is something about mountain life that is energizing. It's hard. I think like you're saying, going to the lawnmower and doing stuff. You can't just be sedentary in a mountain lifestyle. You can't. I don't yeah. care. If you're a hermit, you can. not
1: You know, my, it was interesting. Part of my parents' strategy and in going into retirement was they had bought this property earlier in their lives uh, together. And it was a stretch for them to be able to acquire the property. My dad was a builder. He was a fireman, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but firemen in those days used to work 24 hour shifts and then they'd take two days off. He would use those two days to work in the construction trade so as he got into this property in 1972, they bought the property. He loved to work. And so every free minute he had, he went up there and started to work on the land. And then by the early eighties, he was able to start working on the house. And he and my mom built it completely every, every stick they did together. They built that place and their goal though, and their strategy around it was that the mountains would be a draw for their family. And my mom and dad had five kids. They didn't know where those kids would end up with work and everything else, but they figured if. They built the destination, the kids would come and the grandkids, and that proved to be spot on. They were overwhelmed constantly. They had nonstop visitors. It was a rotating door of one visitor in, one visitor out. People just loved to go there, and there is something magical in the mountains. It's just a peaceful setting where you can really kind of find your bearings and uh, just enjoy nature and spend time as a family reconnecting. It, It was awesome. So. Um, I think it was in 2020, early in the year before the fire, my wife and I recognized my parents were getting a little bit older. We had decided we would buy the property for my parents. And so we had worked on that plan. We weren't quite ready. I'm not near retirement age yet, but we had worked out a plan where my parents would stay in the home. They they didn't want to live anywhere else. There was nowhere else they would live. Um, so we acquired the property. They stayed there. And um, the plan was, though, to learn from my parents their strategy of attracting family and that was kind of our goal that we would someday move into that home and our children. I have six kids. Uh we thought, wow. you know, if we if we do the same thing my parents did, wherever our kids were are, are they will find their way back, back to Grand Lake. So that was kind of our strategy and then the fire kinda of happened.
0: Yeah, that 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 you know, but I want to go to you writing the book um because you could write it as a biography memoir kind of style, right? And you went into storytelling in a novel. which allows you to kind of blur the edges and have some creative flow, right? Yeah. I know that you're in the education world. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a very interesting thing about connecting heart and soul and reality with fiction because sometimes I think we need that spoonful of sugar to get the reality. And do you find that as an educator that that's important?
1: Well, first of all, I'm not an educator. I build schools for educators, but I get to yeah, work Yeah, but them. I
0: mean, but you know that you build school. Like, you have to know what they need.
1: <laughs> That's right. You got to listen. You know, I think that for me, writing this in the fashion that I did was a means of helping people connect. My parents were so relatable. Regardless of what walk of life you come from, you'll find experiences and stories in my parents' lives that you can relate to. And the reality is, you know, the hardest part for me to get over was, Uh, just the transparency of describing some of the events of my father's early Uh, life. He was, uh, he was a ruffian for sure. And you know, he he never shied away from talking about those experiences. Most of them, some of them I didn't learn about until I was well into my adult life, but um, (laughs) he changed, he changed. You had to go
0: to the treasure chest and get all that good stuff. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But it was fun to put it into a context of which a reader could follow along relate to certain experiences they might have had. For example, I would mentioned earlier my mom and dad, my mom was pregnant at 15. Right, uh, that's, the world no, no, back school. then. That it was pretty unusual back then, but certainly not un, unusual, uh, in the fact that it still happens today. And it's interesting to learn how they overcame that and what challenges they faced. You know, that would have been 1952. The world was a different place. They wouldn't let my mom finish high school, for example. They weren't gonna have a uh, here will go to her junior year in high school pregnant. So back then, if you got pregnant, you were kicked out of school. So that created a whole host of other challenges and things. But um, the experiences my parents had, I think, have life lessons that people can learn from and they can g- gain inspiration from. I think one of the stories that most um, I was anxious to get to is in 1993, my parents had been living full-time up there for maybe two years. And my dad was involved in a tragic accident. He and his mm-hmm. best friend were putting in a corral. And in the first post that they had dug, my dad was uh, caught in the auger of the trap And
0: that's his, uh, his arm?
1: It severed yeah. his arm, completely severed it. And there is a miracle to be uh, understood as to, first of all, how did they save his life? It's a, it's, a, it's a miracle he lived. But not only that, the way they were able to get him transported from Grand Lake to Denver was nothing short of a miracle. And you know, one of the neat things uh, we were just able to add there was a newspaper article for from a newspaper that doesn't even exist anymore, and I couldn't find it in their archives. But about a month ago, I was able to locate in an adjoining town the same story with the same cover, different name of the paper, and I was oh. able to include it in the book now at the end of that chapter. So um, the words of the sheriff give me chills because he describes what happened at that setting and he he chalked it up to nothing short of a miracle that they were able to, one, get a helicopter in there and, two, get it back to Denver. But that miracle continued as they got to Denver. Uh, just coincidentally, there happened to be some of the world's greatest experts on reattachment of limbs that were there for a conference. And so they approached my mom and said, hey, we can't promise you this would work. But we'd like to give it a shot. What do you think? And she said, absolutely. And, you know, it was a miracle. But they got that arm reattached. And it was one of the earliest reattachments where from a fully severed arm, they reattached and he got 90, 95% use of that arm through the rest of his life. So those kind of stories I think are inspiring. They're uplifting and it points to a higher power and gives hope to people.
0: Hope is huge. I think Um, our world is a little crazy right now. (laughs) We haven't all noticed, (laughs) you know, and we're all going, Oh, are we going to have world war three any minute? You know? Um, But I think, it's so important to get down to the nucleus of humanity in a setting of a home, right? To yeah. understand that because you see all these, you know, numbers on the screen of a TV and this, that. Do we understand the numbers? Do we feel those numbers? It's almost impossible to quantify sometimes, right? But to, to experience an individual story, an individual family, it's so important to actually really feel and also understand you can have tragedy, but tragedy is tragedy, but there's always hope the next. You know what I mean? It, you can't have one without the other. Yeah. If you're going to have God. You're going to have devil, too. You know, you can't have one without the other. You know what I mean? Everyone has some other belief, but you can't have it all perfect all the time. That's not how character is made.
1: Yeah. And I think that for a lot of us, we achieve our greatest growth when we're in an adverse situation. And that was certainly the case with both my mom and my dad. The Your
0: parents are characters. They they're characters. I mean this. Like people that have just gone for it rough, tough, kind of like they're not. Um, they didn't sit down and let the world go by.
1: <laughs> but Yeah.
0: You know, so I think that's important as a lesson of now. Like for you writing, so turning it into a novel, was that like to tell the story? Like,
1: you know, if you want the full story, the way it really came about was I had done what I considered just a manuscript of these little short stories for my family. And Uh in May of 2021, one of the consultants that I work with, had gone to Canada and he got mm-hmm. stuck up there for two weeks because of COVID. So he was up there, he couldn't come home. And so his wife, who happens to be an actress, um, said, well, let's put you to work while you're up here. And so he was working with the executive producer and they hired him to go find some material. And I was on a business call with him and he said he was looking for some good stories, wanted to know if I knew of any. I said, yeah, I just wrote a whole bunch of little, really good stories. And so long story short, um, we signed an agreement for them to produce and make a full-featured film out of oh, the stories.
0: Oh, awesome.
1: Um, they hired a screenplay writer, and the screenplay has been written. We're obviously in a writer's strike right now, so it's going to be on pause for a little bit. But they had asked me not to proceed with converting the manuscript into a book. Uh, they wanted to get the movie further along and then release a book at the same time. At any rate, when the writer's strike occurred back in June and then followed up by the actor's strike, they finally called and said, you know what, we don't know how long this is going to go on. You might as well start working on the book. So that kind of reignited my my energy around taking the manuscript and converting it into a story that people could follow along and read that will also also obviously follow closely along with the, the movie. But uh, so that gave me a, a license to move ahead over the summer. And so I spent uh, a lot of time just trying to tweak the manuscript and putting it into a format that was readable and that kind of conveyed the message of hope and refinement and love that I wanted to share.
0: With a little grit. Yeah. you got to have the grit in there. There's yeah. no mountain story without grit or <laughs> magic. There is a, there is such a thing about mountain magic. I always believe in that. There is mountain magic. Um yeah. For your family, how have they read it? I mean, because it's your family story, even though it's a novel, a a screenplay.
1: Yeah, not only have they read it, each one of my siblings have had a hand in refining. oh this is not
0: how it went down. This is how it went down. Did you get that? Well,
1: there was some of that, um, but honestly, I used them for a long time just to help me make sure I had the details. I have an uncle who is very close to my mom and- he gave me some of the details that I thought I understood and he clarified them and it made it, it made it better. Um, each of my siblings had a different reaction to some of the stories that unfolded and added more detail that enriched the story, made it even more exciting, and wonderful. And so they all had a hand in it, but in particular, my sister, Kim, She absolutely embraced this project and motivated me and encouraged me and was very helpful. She's always been the first person I would send the transcript to, get her take on it, tweak and change. We collaborated quite a bit on making sure that we were telling the story in a way that was respectful, that also honored the legacy of my parents.
0: So for you, was it therapeutic to write this?
1: That that was the real motivation behind the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting. You You asked about my siblings. Each of us grieved differently, certainly. Sure. Um, And in my family with two brothers and two sisters, we all dealt with the loss. It was so sudden and so unexpected that we all handled it in a different way. Um, For me, um, first it was the song, you know, getting a song done, that gave me a channel to control my energy and put it into something positive. And then it was capturing the short stories and then putting the whole thing together. It's been so therapeutic, and it's also brought me closer to my parents, even though they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, telling their Can story, hear them?
0: Can you uh, hear them all
1: the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I more than I hear them, I feel them. I feel their oh. uh, their their presence. That's on beautiful. Frequent occasions, and it's been really therapeutic for me. And my my one brother told me he's jealous actually because um, I've had this as an outlet to deal with the grief and the loss. And I found a way to channel that into a really productive and uh, powerful way. And my Mm -hmm. hope is that as we release the book, there are others around the world who are also dealing with loss that are going to gain some incredible uh, inspiration from it.
0: Are you open or have time to do like book clubs, even via zoom or talk to people from this? I'm still
1: still working, but Uh, if schedules can be coordinated in such a way, I would love to do that and would absolutely. I think
0: it's huge. Um, I mean, we've had loss in our life big time. Um, And, you know, my mom's brother was murdered and it was like, boom. And we didn't even have family had time to tell us it was on our, it was the largest industrial shooting in Florida. This was like, Um, when we first got back to this country, like literally, um, and we were in California and it was on the news. And that's how we found out
1: because nobody
0: could even function. I came home with groceries and my mom's in bed with the TV crying going, Ricky's dead. And I saw him on the stretcher on the TV and I'm like, what? You know, and then her best friend died. Of brain cancer like within six months it was a very long year let me put it that way and it was hellish and you go the 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 re and and we've gone through some recent grief too and grief is brutal man it's brutal but you know when you're through it and people say oh time this you just like you know shove it. <laughs> I get angry right now. Everybody has those stages of grief and it's true. Like you want to disagree with it, but it's true. You go through those stages. You really do.
1: And you know, um, though at some point we're all reminded that this life, we're all going to go through death. We're all going to leave this earth. And I think part of the story and yeah. uh, my parents had great faith and great belief that this life was only a small portion of the eternity. Mm. And that they would be together. They they firmly believe that. And they believe that we'll, we'll wild. be yeah. connected. And so for them, you know, yeah, it's a tough transition. We miss them desperately, but.
0: Yeah, that's the hard part is now, on the Earth.
1: Whoever, they're, yeah. they're together. Uh, they did the best they could in 68 years together. And throughout their 86 and 84 years on this that's earth, amazing. grew into just an amazing uh, couple of individuals.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like one of those stories that you have to just go, like, you can't be over sad about it, but you're sad for, you know, the family and the friends left behind because they're like, oh, we miss you, you know. Yeah. But their story is pretty incredible.
1: You know, it's interesting. My parents, when they were, you know, in their 80s, once they crossed into the 80s, their biggest fear was not death. Their biggest fear was leaving one another behind. Right. That was. Wow, always- so
0: that's that's <laughs> what I'm saying. It's so wild. Like they.
1: They, they went together together. And, you know, some people thought they chose to stay in the home that it was reported in one of the newspapers. Right. You know, it got national attention and it was on all the major networks. But that was not what transpired. They literally had 30 minutes notice to evacuate. Well, my parents home was as far. They're the furthest north home before you cross the Colorado River's the property line. You cross mm-hmm. the river, you're in the park. And these are, you know, it's a two and a half yeah, yeah. mile dirt road that gets back in there. And by the time they got notice of it, they got a phone call around 730 at night from a friend of theirs who had been with them just an hour earlier. And he said, I'm coming to get you guys. And so they were preparing to get out. But before he could ever get there, by the time he got out of Grand Lake, it was 8 o'clock. They were already evacuating the town to the south. He was trying to go north, and they weren't going to let him go north. He finally got a Forest Service worker to go with him in the truck. And they got about as far as about a mile away to the Winding River Campground, and at that point, the fire was raging. And when I say raging, they estimated the winds ran between eighty and one hundred and twenty miles an hour. It's uh, hotter
0: we, than what it used to be. It is. It it the the fires are.
1: There was just people. Now. There was a. It created its own weather pattern. There's t- mm-hmm. pictures of tornadoes coming through there. But they described it as such that my mom got so worried that she called them around 830 and told them to turn around. They said, you'll never get back. here. we can already see the trees are coming down. And again, they were together. They. My mom called me at 930 and tried to explain to us what was going on. And she was so calm. I didn't realize there was an emergency. And she said, uh, just listen, the power's out. We're going to go downstairs. We think we're going to be safer down there. And we'd like you to call your siblings and just let them know because it's going to be on the news. They're going to hear about this fire and just let them know we're downstairs. Our, the home was in a meadow, so they felt relatively safe. Um, and I said, I'll call everybody, but I'm going to call you right back. And when I called back 15 minutes later, uh, oh. it's estimated they were gone by 10 o'clock. It happened pretty quick. Yeah. But, you know, they were Cook together. Yep, they were together. And um, like when the coroner called us two days later, they were able to get up there. And when they found them, they were exactly where they said they'd be. And they were arm in arm. And I thought, you know, what a beautiful. Wow, that's wild. Beautiful ending to a beautiful life that they were together.
0: That is beautiful. It is. You know, just we all missed those at that time. And beautiful they were together and then it was quick, like you're saying. They is, were
1: lucky. Like, How many people lose a spouse? And then they have to go through those challenges in life of being alone. Yeah. yeah,
0: or You know, in, you know when, we for, when we first got to this country, you know, Nancy had her magazine in South Africa. I grew up into that as a teenager, you know. And we got over here and went into the music world teaching senior citizens and elders, retirees, how to play music on oh. organs. And it was really developed for for people that were elder. And they, they had the rhythms and everything on these organs. And it was really cool. I watched people go from losing a spouse to go to alcoholism and depression and this became a club like for them
1: wow. and
0: they learned something they did something and i think that's something like you're talking about the lawnmower and writing a book you have to get active yeah you can't sit in bed all day you can't and and i watch people go from alcoholism and turn their life around within this group of music just music pure music right can't beat music and turn their life around and be able to move forward But it was the same kind of thing, like, you know, people that were so connected and then didn't know how. And you've also got to think about um, how back then, like I'm talking about early 90s, how people were not ready, like especially women were not ready to be able to go shopping without a checkbook or they didn't understand some of those things. So there was a big lot, like it was weird. It was weird. But I watched people turn around when they had something and the community and music and could see that they could do something. Actually physically learn and learning, that's why I brought up the education with you too, learning yeah. will keep you going. For sure. The day we don't learn is truly the day we die, right?
1: Yeah. I
0: don't care if we're on the earth or not. That is it. And your parents kept going, obviously, like right until the end and But, like, they're amazing. They're amazing. So tell us about the property. What's it like now?
1: So after the fire, um, it was unrecognizable. It was like being on Mars. Literally everything was gone. And when I say everything, there may have been two or three trees on – we had collectively with our neighbors, we had about 120 acres. There was probably three or four trees that didn't either snap, get blown over by the sheer wind force or burn um Thank you. it was devastation in the home my dad had a collection of guns rifles machine guns handguns he was a collector and a trader of guns we had gone down to try to find anything when we got there it was just ash everywhere we went down with a rake and there was nothing we found a few splotches of metal that we assume were the barrels wow. of those guns but nothing survived wow nothing.
0: that hot that it hot. was
1: they said 1700 degrees two days after the fire when they went to try and retrieve them that was a real challenge because it was still burning and still hot, but um, it was devastating. The forest line it, it burned 192,000 acres, uh, 26 miles of forest and parklands that burned, and it came through so quickly, uh, it was devastating. And yet, um, our ability to you know pick up the pieces, we immediately started working on recovery and. The first year was really just getting rid of all the, you know, we had to take mm-hmm. all the foundation away and.
0: And find you know, where all- the property lines really are. <laughs>
1: That's yeah. a whole other deal. That's- <laughs> it was crazy. Um, But, you know, it was just a recovery um in the first year of just trying to get things done. But one of the things that we've really enjoyed is on October 4th, the fire was on the 21st, two and a half mm-hmm. weeks earlier, we were with my mom and dad in Grand Lake. And because we had purchased the home earlier, we were already working on some plans for the house and the property down the road someday with six kids. We wanted to expand the kitchen and we were getting excited about doing things like that. We were also very aware of all the beetle kill around the property and we spent the whole summer uh, taking down all the dead trees that were around the home and trying to keep it as uh, fire resistant as we could. But on the 4th of October, we were getting ready to come home after having a beautiful weekend with my mom and dad. And just as we're getting to leave, we're getting ready to pack up the car and go. My mom asked me to get on a, an ATV and follow her. And she and my dad drove the Kawasaki down to the lower part of the property. And there was an area there that's completely surrounded by water. It's an oxbow. And my mom wanted to show us what she and my dad had started. And so we drive down past our barn We go down this little dirt road and we can see my dad had been working for months with uh, an excavator to take out all the old tree stumps to clear some of that land. And they explained that they wanted to create a little park for the Boy Scouts or their church group or for family reunions. They had this vision for a park to be located. And then beyond that, it hadn't been cleared yet, but she had said she wanted us to clear all the way to the end to the south. And she wanted to put in a pavilion, something that would be covered so you could get out of the elements if it was raining and something where you could put up some picnic tables and people could gather. So she kind of shared with us her vision and dream for this. We get back to the house and she hands my wife a little post-it note. And she had even named the park and the pavilion. And she had named the park the Heilman Hideaway, which was perfect because you literally couldn't see it. It was so lush with trees. It was just completely a solid mass of trees and stumps. And then the pavilion she had already named was her nickname, Punk. She wanted Punk's Pavilion. So she kind of handed us our marching orders. Hey, she said, I want you guys to finish the work we're doing here on this park and then give us a pavilion. And who knew two and a half weeks later they'd be gone. But when they left, my wife and I knew exactly what we had to start with. And that's what we did. We cleared and then we immediately went to work on the Heilman Hideaway and Punk's Pavilion and amazingly, we were able to have that ready by June of 2022, you know, a year and a half later. Uh We christened it. We invited all the family, friends, neighbors over and had a nice uh, barbecue and enjoyed some time reminiscing on the, the lives my parents lived and also the fulfillment of their dream to have a park and a pavilion there. So today the park and the pavilion are up and running. And it was a fun part of the recovery is to have a project like that that they Instigated and they're they That's planting. wild, though, you isn't have to it? Pick up the piece and continue it on.
0: Isn't that wild that she knew to tell you then? Like, that's yeah. wild. Well,
1: the other piece is on our property, we have a bronze plaque, and we had planned on giving my mom and dad a gift for Christmas. And that same morning, I had shown them a picture of what I had created. I called it the Rocky Mountain Miracle, mm-hmm. which described the events of October 11th, 1993, when my dad lost his arm but Mm -hmm. it was such a meaningful miracle in our family's lives that I wanted to create something to memorialize it. And I had found the old auger. And so I mounted the auger where that post was. And I had this plaque getting ready to be produced. And while we're getting ready to leave, my wife had this inspiration. She said, you know, we ought to put a picture on that plaque. And my mom thought that was brilliant. She goes, yes. Mm -hmm. So my dad starts rolling up his sleeve my wife's like, my mom's like, no, 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 take the shirt off. So my mom rips off my dad's shirt. And I took a picture of my dad to show the scarring on his arm and uh, removed from his body. It's in the
0: music video.
1: (laughs) It's in the music video. And it's also on the property now. That bronze plaque exists and we put it there. And, you know, again, that was just a flash of inspiration that Michelle had that suggests we ought to try and get a picture to add to that uh, Christmas gift that we plan on giving parents.
0: Isn't that wild how those things happen? You don't think of them as being major until later afterwards, yeah. you know. Um You know, our fires happened in October, too. Mm. And we ended up in Tombstone on Halloween, evacuated from California, you know. Oh. And we were told our house had burned down and everything in it hadn't. It was a neighborhood but we did find a place to live and Bo- next to the Boot Hill Cemetery. But because all of our business paperwork, our cats and artwork were with us, but um we evacuated seven times in a year and a half. Oh, and my if you goodness. think you're not kind of in PTSD at that point, there right. were copycat serial like uh firefight fire, people setting fires to the mountain. And there's yeah. a road in and a road out. And we were all driving around with shovels and everything and Anyway, so we, Nancy and I went, my mom, I call her Nancy because we worked together and I worked since I was a kid before we had hold on the phones, you know. Um, we went on a hike and came out and saw the fire coming and went, oh, this is the one. And nobody believed it. We started calling all our friends. We're going to go down to the desert. We're going to get you a place. And then we had to get out of the desert because the smoke came down so bad. Wow. Our cat almost died. But anyway... That Those little moments, it's funny, it's not funny, but like we lost our good friend last year in October, same thing, and he hiked. He cycled the entire perimeter of the country. He's a earth science teacher who reti- retired. He walked across the country. I mean, he he's crazy. And then all of a sudden, he just died in October mm-hmm. after writing his last book. And there were these telltale signs that you would never know. And they're weird. Like, you just, like, did he know? Did your parents know? No. It's just normal life, but weird. You know? Looking back
1: on it, I kind of think my mom must have had some form of impressions or ideas. Something. Something was going on because it was just, it seemed more than a coincidence that she was so insistent on giving us direction and providing us with a paper that showed how she had planned on this coming to fruition. It was almost as if she knew she wasn't going to be there. To finish it. Yeah,
0: or... it's weird. I have, I have a really good friend who was a bass player in our band. And the day before he died, he contacted me about a sunrise photo. And he died in the shower. Fell down. Wow. And a th- and that was it. And went, we hadn't talked for a couple of years, but we're really close. doesn't matter if you – some people in your life, you don't – you know, you could go 10 years and you're still that close. And it was weird that he contacted me. And then just died and went, that's messed up, man. So I feel like there's this weird thing that we may know. Maybe it's spiritual. I don't know. That we know, but we don't know.
1: Yeah.
0: Until later. Like they may know now, and we're talking about it now. But there's something that happens. There's well, like these signs. One other,
1: I would be aware of another miracle or tender mercy, call it what you might, but mm. describe the devastation on the property after the fire. When the coroner called us, it was on Friday, the fire was on a Wednesday night. And then on Friday, they got in, recovered my parents and she called me and she couldn't have been more gracious and kind and loving. But after the conclusion of the conversation, she asked if I had any questions. And I said, well, I do. I'm just curious. I'm, I'm wondering if there are two trees there that you can see that might have survived. And she's looking straight at the house and she later sent me the photograph of what she was looking at. And there were two trees there. All right. But they were just black sticks. And she said, I want to be really careful before I answer that question. What two trees specifically? And I said, well, are you in the driveway? And she said she was. And I said, if you're looking straight ahead and she's looking at those two burned out trees, And I said, now look to the left about a 100 yards. And she goes, well, it's so smoky I can't see, so I'm going to get out of the truck. She gets out of the truck, and she starts walking across what has been a burned. And the closer she gets, this is real time, and I've got a recording of it, which is incredible. It gives me chills to go back and listen to it. But she described getting about 15 feet. She goes, the trees are still there. You're not going to believe it. The fire stopped 15 feet in front of the fire in front of the two trees and it started about 15 feet on the other side of it and then kept going, but it didn't burn the trunks or the trees or any of the grass around those trees. And she said, well, she goes, this is a miracle. I can't believe these trees are still here, but what's the significance of those? And I said, well, Tanya, interestingly, my parents planted those two trees in 1993 after my dad lost his arm and just kind of as a a symbol of their faith and their hope, they planted a tree for my mom and a tree for my dad and over the years, they always told our family that when they were gone, that's where they wanted to have their ashes spread. So they would already, years earlier, planted those trees with the hope that someday that's where their final resting place might wow. be. And a week later, we were able to go back there and honor their wish, and we were able to spread their ashes there on that very soil that hadn't burned. And it was the only patch of ground anywhere for miles that didn't How do you burn.
0: explain that stuff, you know?
1: So, well, you know, I told you my dad was a firefighter in my mind, yeah. how you do it, but I think he died. And somehow on the other side, you can take our house, but you're not taking our trees. I don't know yeah. how you fire no, on the no, other this, side. But, this is weird. Yeah.
0: This is weird. My, my good friend, um, Gemma, when we lived up in, in Julian in the mountains during this fire, we went through all these series of fires. And so all of us were evacuating around the mountains. And you understand the mountains. You think there's a fire here? No, actually, it's over here. You know, it's a mess. And we we're all evacuating in her family house. This is her family house that she grew up in. And, you know, she ended up living in it. She had her own little trailer thing that she lived in on the property. She was independent, but still it's family. It's a small, tiny mountain town, 3,600 3, people, right? 3,600. And so the first time the fire got really close. And there at the top of the mountain, whenever you went to our house, the wind was whipping you on all sides. And the fire got real close to one of the big ones. Nothing happened. So we thought, okay, well, all the important stuff, unless you're taking it with you, the semi-important, we put in your basement. So we did. Hmm. Well, that big fire, Cedar Fire, took out our family house. Basement. Everything. What it didn't do, it skirted around her dog's grave, Elastin. Hmm. I mean, even her own little cross and jewelry around it, the grass ring. I got goosebumps on that stuff. Don't even tell me that that's not, that, that, that happened. We yeah. went there, the house is gone. You're, family life your everything but alaska's grave yeah a German Shepherd white German Shepherd I got a German shepherd right here but like what was that yeah like the keeper life it was like is the it was like the keeper
1: and I think sometimes we need those reminders that you know there are things far more important than what we get focused on every day and
0: Oh, I agree. I think I think. I love that you made it a novel. And I think, do you Do you see your grandkids checking this out down the road? Oh, yeah.
1: I hope they read the book before they watch the movie, though. So we'll see.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah. It will so be made into
1: a full feature film at some point. Um, eventually, we're all going to have to go back to work, right? But uh, um, yeah. I think the, the book um uh, goes into so much more detail. The screenplay is wonderful. I love how it came about, and there's miracles even in that story. But the book itself is just so much richer because you have the ability in a novel to elicit those emotions that you can touch on. But, you know, if you're trying to keep a movie to an hour and a half to two hours, there's only so much you can do in telling mm-hmm. a story like this one, where the book, I think, just goes. Uh, and
0: the book is private.
1: Yeah. When yeah. you
0: read a book, it's your own story. It's your own thing. Um, Before you go, tell everybody how your parents met and where.
1: So my parents were, um, they met at Wheat Ridge High School in Denver, or uh, in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Um, My dad would have been a senior and my mom would have been a sophomore. Um, But my dad saw my mom walking outside the school and he immediately told his friends that that was his, she's the one, I'm going to. And my dad, my mom was kind of a good church girl. And my dad was about the polar opposite of that. And his friends didn't think he had a chance, but he was persistent, if nothing else. And he finally found a way to get her to go on a date with him. And by the end of that year, um, they were together and their parents recognized my mom had gotten pregnant. Um, They were very quick uh, to arrange a marriage there. And there's a fun story in the book. I won't spoil it. But back in those days, the last thing parents wanted to do is to broadcast news. Yeah, of, no kidding. Like that. No. So they went up to a town. Get called.
0: get moved out of state half of the time.
1: So they <laughs> went to a town called Georgetown, which is just maybe an hour from Denver, but it was up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And that's where they went and found a justice of the peace to get them married. So they were married. Um, immediately, my dad was called into the Marine Reserves and had to go to boot camp and all of that. But uh, they got married. Um, But they met in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Um, my mom was relatively new to that community. Her family had moved around a little bit. Um, my dad had been there for some time. And they met, and she uh, was all the motivation he needed in life to to try and improve his uh, life and to be a better person. And she kept wow. pushing him to improve and do better. And like I said, by the time he left, he was about as close to an angel as you could meet. He was a rough and tough man, but the older he got, the more refined he became. And by the time they left, he was uh, just an extraordinary. they floating man. up there, yeah. And I give my mom all the credit because she put up with a lot, and she was unrelenting in her desire for them to be together and for them to work through challenges and do it in a way that would bless their family.
0: Oh, that's that's huge because people give up. Yeah, you know they give up. Um, so that's huge. I, I think that's a story of hope, right? Yeah, sure. To to keep going. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Glenn. Everybody again, uh, go to the website. Uh, give everyone the website. I lost it now.
1: Yellowhouse in the I have you it couldn't...
0: right here. It's right here. Yellowhouse in the Go yeah. check it out there. Again, it comes out March 2024. So everybody keep up with the website. Are you on social media that people should follow you or mostly go to the website? It, yep.
1: And I believe that's coming. Oh, the, yes. The website should be completed tomorrow morning. My son's actually Oh, it's there.
0: It's there. Your website's there. So it's already Good. there,
1: but he's adding some more content. Oh. Right after the fire, there were countless ABC, NBC with Lester Holt, every major national media yeah, yeah. covered it because of the speed at which the, travel, the fire traveled. And because my parents were the only casualties in the fire, they became oh. the human interest part of that. So he's going to put three or four of those links to the national media which will really help the reader because they can visualize there's some scenes in there that just show the massive speed at which that fire was traveling. So I think that'll be interesting. And those should be up sometime tomorrow, but uh, right. the song well, by I- the time this
0: airs, it'll be there for, yeah. sure. But yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for sharing your family's story and writing the book. And Hey, we'll have to watch out for the, the movie too, but we Absolutely. appreciate you sharing this and um, really uh, the fire thing is serious. It's it's real it really is and i don't know how much property you can clear anymore you know yeah um but you better do it if you're in those areas do it cuz it does save some properties but the fires are moving hotter and you know faster just like what you you're talking about and uh yeah. but thank you so much for joining us everyone keep up with us at bigblendradio.com thank you thank you Thank you for listening to Big Blend Radio. Keep up with our shows at BigBlendRadio.com.